Uh, Last week, Jesse brought us to a pause in our series in the Gospel of Luke, and today and for the next three Sunday sermons, we are turning our attention to Advent, as Phoebe's just said. The idea for this year, the idea for the theme that we're going to travel through in Advent is um, to look at passages of promise, places in the Bible where God has given us promises to hold on to so that when life gets difficult or painful or where we can't see the blessings that we thought God wanted to give us, we can remind ourselves of what God has promised us as well as reminding ourselves that God is a trustworthy promise keeper, light in the darkness. So that particular focus of being able to hold on to hope, even when those hopes are far from being fulfilled, not only is that the theme for the series, but that's a good deal of what I want to say this morning. I want us to, or rather, I want to put to us that I think Advent is a good thing, a helpful season, even a neglected discipline. Advent can help strengthen our relationship with God in a way that going straight to Christmas sort of misses out on. So my talk has three sections this morning. Firstly, what is Advent? Let's have a little look at it. And why it's worth living it in Advent before rushing on to Christmas. Secondly, okay, well, what exactly has God promised us? What is the hope that we're waiting for? What what are we waiting for? And thirdly, to finish off a practical question, how can we Advent well? If you would like a title, as some of you like to, especially if you take notes, um, Advent, Waiting on God with God. Sound all right? Lovely. Oh, affirming nods. Thanks, friends. That's very encouraging. Okay, before I get into the the meat of it, uh, I would like to ask you a rhetorical question. Uh, When does the Christmas season start? When is it? (laughs) August was heckled from the front. Truer than you know. Okay, but when is it legitimate to start listening to Michael Bublé, if it's ever legitimate to... Are you good? Good. Uh, August. Uh, I mean, clearly, not, not Bublé, but the Muppets Christmas Carol soundtrack, as every discerning Christmas appreciator knows. When is, it start, when is it appropriate to start listening to Christmas music? When is it okay to put your tree up? Is it December 1st? When the Advent calendars start, no, Advent calendars, they, they're tied to the month of December, but it's Advent today, fourth Sunday before, no, never mind. Uh, or, or perhaps, does the Christmas season start when the John Lewis advert is first launched? Or when Coca-Cola declare that holidays are coming and that advert is first released? Does that mark the beginning of the Christmas season? I think it does for some people. Is it that first week in November when Starbucks launched their eggnog latte? Love it or hate it, I love it. Uh, And also, curiously, Starbucks and Costa decide that the other companies' all-year-round colors are more Christmassy and swap the red cups and the white cups (laughs) for the festive season. God bless them. Other department stores, fizzy drinks, and coffee shops are available. Or is it that well-known festive date of the last week of August? when supermarkets start putting up their signs for Christmas. Not only did I, for the podcast, a ridiculous photo of my face appeared on the screen. I took this to send to a friend in August, uh, as if to say, are you kidding me, Morrisons? (laughs) Really? And uh, similarly, uh, I think this next one was Tesco, who asked, did someone say Christmas? Nobody said Christmas. In mid-August, Tesco, this was not on anybody's lips. 
It's like the meme, nobody, absolutely nobody. Tesco, did someone say Christmas? <laughs> Your profit margin said Christmas, but no one in society wanted it. I genuinely I struggle to get my head around the display aisle in the seasonal section being a combination of mince pies that go off in Freshers Week and back-to-school pencil cases. It just... Should we be starting Christmas in August? But Jim, you old Scrooge, I hear you cry. You boring, anti-fun festivity killer. These poor supermarkets, they're just trying to make a profit. And why can't I tuck into my Leibkuchen whilst I'm unpacking my suitcase from my summer holiday? What am I missing out on? I'll tell you, friends. I, actually, I love Christmas, just to be clear. I absolutely love Christmas. I love the feasting, I love the fun. The Muppets Christmas Carol, clearly the best festive film ever made. I also uh, enjoy Die Hard, that profound Christmas film about a savior sent to self-sacrificially bring salvation to the Nakatomi Plaza. If we, if we knee-jerk away from August Stalin and go down the Puritan perspective that shouts, stop it, stop feasting, Simple nativity sets only, put that tinsel down. If, if we go to that parody of Christians, then of course we'd be missing out on the festive joy that I think God shares in as well. I think God loves it when we celebrate the Christ Mass. That is the Messiah feast, the savior celebration. Christmas is great and I love, well not turkey, but like a, a capon, seriously, capon's the business. But if to misquote the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, if we live in a land of always Christmas, never Advent, I think our spiritual diet misses out on a crucial perspective. What it is to wait on God with God. Advent is the Lent of Christmas time, the fasting before the feasting, the reflecting that makes the rejoicing all the richer. Advent gives us space to hold on to the pain of our unfulfilled hopes, the longings left lingering, before we can then turn to the joy of Christmas. Advent offers us space to acknowledge our unanswered prayers and cry out with Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? The Psalms have got some brutal honesty about where are you, God? I love that that's in the Bible. You know? That's okay. And to sit with that, to spend some time being real with God, adventing with God, before we turn to Christmas and celebrating what God has done and done so lovingly for us, I think is essential. It's not just good, it's essential the sort of Christmas that skips over that waiting and leaps without any preparation straight to tinny supermarket speakers playing Wham's Last Christmas and glossy billboards of bronze turkeys next to roaring fires. That sort of Christmas, it has captured something of the feast, but it's also somehow cheapened it. I wonder if part of why Christmas can sometimes feel hollow to some of us is because we haven't spent time in Advent waiting on God, with God. I think we risk living in the joy of a not-quite-Christmas and missing out on sitting with God in the real-life painful waiting. So much of our lives are on demand. My streaming services are pretty impressive, 
There's a whole library of, of Christmas films you can get at the touch of a button. I mean, streaming services have moved into food now. From your phone, you can get a takeaway from, well, not in St. Andrews, but loads of restaurants. So much of life is on demand that when it comes to a trouble or a difficulty that isn't on demand in our lives, I think some of us just don't know how to cope with it. Things like hopes for a family when it's just not happening. Hopes for a relationship. Hopes for a meaningful friendship. Hopes for a job or an opportunity. Hope even to feel sure of who we are. Hope for a good diagnosis or for God's healing or protection or his provision for a real need. And hopes for things, something that matters that we can't control. If we don't know how to deal with these hopes, a space to sit and process that with God is essential. I think that Advent is a gift for our unfulfilled anticipations. And missing out on coming to God with our anxieties, our anticipations unfulfilled, living in the land of always Christmas, never Advent, well, it leads to a relationship with God that isn't real, isn't fully real anyway, and is liable to crumble when life turns out not to be always mulled wine and mince pies. This, this is a wee bit heavy, isn't it? Welcome to Advent, everyone. Um, but I, I just want to be, I want to be real. And so I spent a while saying, okay, Lord, where do you want to go with this sermon this week? What, what do you have to say, Lord, through the topic of Advent to this time, to this people at this time? What have you got? So I asked the Lord for you in the room right now what he wanted to say. And, and this is the message, the, the reality, coming to him really and Adventing well. And then I said, okay, Lord, so can you make this, make this real to me? Help, help me really feel what you want me to get over. That was a mistake. Um, I have been weeping this week. Actually, gosh, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional even now thinking about it. Um, just scrolling through the news, I found myself bawling in a way that I don't normally do. And um, uh, we do a service on a Thursday um, that none of you are allowed to come to, uh, down at the St. David Center, called Hope at the Hub. Um, and it's for folk who uh, come to use the St. David Center, the Hub, and um, maybe they come because of Storehouse, or maybe they come through another ministry that, that operates out of there. Um, and it's a... a church service for people who don't go to church, which is why you're not invited. Um, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I say none of you. You're allowed to, really. I had a privilege of a conversation this week with an individual who had lost many colleagues through what sounded like a horrendous work accident. Horrendous. Um, and, uh, and then getting to the, to the end of the conversation, discovered that this individual's spouse uh, of a, a long time now has a profound um, illness that is life-changing for all of them. And um, I had the joy of being able to pray with this individual. Um, I wept later. <laughs> Sorry, friends. Um, I don't like to see uh, uh, someone interrupted in a preach getting emotional. If you're preaching in this church, don't you do it. If we don't have space for that, if we go straight to the, to the billboards of glossy turkeys, of, you know, I love a Black Forest mocha, actually, Costa, well done. If we go straight to that, where is the space in our relationship with God for, Lord, this hurts. 
And as the individual I was just talking about said to me, where was God in that? I think, I think we need to advent in order to make Christmas real. And I don't think that God wants a Christmas with a tree full of presents and a table full of rich food, but our hearts empty of his presence. And not because he's wagging a finger, make me the center of Christmas, not that. But because his heart is, yeah, I see that pain. I saw where you were that day. I I want to be with you in that. Let me in, let me meet you there. I, I love to learn the origin of words. I'm a, a bit of an etymology geek. There you go. Have a gift for a Sunday morning. Um, Advent means a coming, approach, an arrival. Comes from advenire, uh, to come to. So it's the season of God's coming. Better than holidays are coming. Better even than someone coming down the chimney to bring presents. God is coming. I mean, maybe we've heard this too many times to really grasp the fullness of that. God's coming. He's on his way. God's coming. It's going to be great. It's going to be brilliant. Mighty, good, mysterious, but lovely God is coming. And to quote C.S. Lewis's Narnia properly, one of the moments that stands out in that book and the film is when Mr. Beaver first confides in the hopeful, uh, the hopeful yet sober good news in the children. He says, um, they say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps has already landed. Some of you got goosebumps already, just from that quote. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand, but in a dream it feels as if something enormous, sorry, some enormous meaning. Either a terrifying one, which turns the whole dream into a nightmare, or else a lovely meaning, too lovely to put into words which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and you're always wishing you could get into that dream again. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Edmund felt a a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it's the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. I like that. So Advent is the season of waiting and of hope, of recognizing unfulfillment and of anticipation and looking ahead to God doing something wonderful They say that God is coming to save us. Perhaps has already begun. So in the church, traditionally, Advent is when God's people remember two things. Firstly, the promises for a Messiah that God fulfilled when Jesus was born. It's the God is going to send a savior promises throughout our Old Testament that find their glorious answer in the first Christmas. And it's good to remember to, to... And we will do over the next couple of weeks, put ourselves back into pre-Jesus times and imagine and remember, what must it have been like? And secondly, what Advent does in the church calendar is give us a chance to remember the promise that God is going to complete that rescue mission. 
not just meeting us and setting us free whilst we're still behind enemy lines, glorious as that is, but going further, bringing us out of the conflict to an unbroken intimacy with him in the new heavens and new earth. So here, Scotland 2023, for us right now, saved by Jesus from Satan's captivity and living in that now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. Jesus has brought in the kingdom, but the kingdom is still being resisted by the world and God hasn't fully rolled it out yet. For us, Advent is more than just remembering the lead up to Mary and Joseph in a stable. It's a looking forward, a hoping for the fullness of God's presence and his kingdom to come and meet us. So this now and not yet reality of the kingdom of God means that we can wait for God's kingdom, wait for his presence fully, but he's already come, he's already brought it in. So we can wait for him, with him. It's kind of like if you're going to meet someone who you love, maybe you've not seen them for months, and you're messaging each other as you're walking down the street and about to turn the corner and see each other. And there's the joy of, of chatting, even you're about to see each other in 10 seconds, but you still can't help but be messaging each other. But still, when you see them, that hug is that. We get to be talking to God, we get to be spending time with him now, even as we wait for the fullness of the embrace of the kingdom that he's going to bring in. Okay. That was my case for Advent, part one. Let's have a little look at what we're waiting for. What exactly is the promise, part two? God made it clear to us right from the moment that humanity was separated from him in Genesis chapter three, that he will not leave us alone. He will not leave us separated to that fate. And the last two chapters of the last book in the Bible, that's Revelation 21 and 22, show us a picture of what he's planning for us when the rescue's complete. From beginning to end, from the first moment of separation from God to the culmination, the Bible shows us clearly God's heart towards us and promises towards us. So, time for a bit of Bible? Probably. Um, right from the moment of Adam and Eve's disobedience in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15, and God declaring the consequences of this sin to Adam and Eve, God gives this curious curse to the serpent, that's the devil or Satan. The offspring of the woman, brilliant, thank you. Could we have the next verse? Thank you. Uh, the offspring of the woman and the offspring, or this, the descendants, I don't know, this, of this snake, this serpent, will have enmity between them. The offspring of the woman will crush the serpent's head while the serpent strikes his heel. God's promise to the devil right from the garden, is though you may hurt humanity, you will be crushed by it. A promise that was fulfilled when God the Son became human and did the work that none of us could have done without him. Jesus' birth, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension defeated the devil's hold over us. Okay, so there's a promise to the devil of you will not win. Though you may cause pain, you will not win. But it's in our Bible. So, of course, this is a promise to us as well, as we read Genesis, that says, yeah, this world is a mess, and there is a cost to the rejection of God reality that we find ourselves in, but the devil will be crushed. The fall away from intimacy with God is not the end of the story. God didn't leave us to be alone. Okay, so what about our future hope? Let's 
rush to the other end of the Bible. If you'd like to read it along yourself, Genesis, uh, sorry, Revelation, Revelation 21, um, but it'll be on the screen just here. And wouldn't I read, we'll, we'll read verses one to seven, then I'll skip down 22 to 27. Um, and as you're finding it, this, this is the picture of our future hope. This is God showing John an image of a future where humanity lives fully restored to God. And I think it's beautiful. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And there's loads in this, but for time we'll skip to verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God, the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will the gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen, oh that's enough to dig into for now. Obviously, this passage is worthy of its own close study and sermon. Um, but just for this morning's Advent focus, I want to ask of this passage, what is the vision of what we're looking forward to? What is the promise that we are waiting to be fulfilled? The two things that I felt the Lord highlight to me for this week's look at the passage are identity and intimacy. So I encourage you to look out for things that point to identity and intimacy as we skim through this passage just now. Back to verse one. It's a picture of a new heaven and earth. God doesn't tinker with or improve or you know, finally put the last piece of Meccano into this world. This is a new thing. And it's free from the chaos that in the Hebrew imagination the sea symbolizes. 
a new thing free from chaos. And this new thing is coming unpolluted straight from God in verse 2. It's a beautiful picture. God's done the work. He's prepared this. In fact, he's prepared his people as a perfect partner to God in his holiness. This is a verse that tells us we need to have no fear of rejection from God. If we're his, and the who's it for, I haven't written this down, but 1 John 5 verses 1 to 5 tells you whether or not you're in or not. Look that up if you're nervous. 1 John 5, 1 to 5. Those who God has prepared this for, he's prepared with no need to fear rejection from him. He's prepared his church to be a bride beautifully prepared for her husband. All by his grace. We stand beautiful with God and for God. Okay, well, what's the first thing that anyone says? What's the first word spoken in this picture? Verse 3, from the throne, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with him, with them. They will be his people. The center, the, the very focus of this image is the relationship between God and his people. God comes close to live intimately among his people. And the promise is that we will be his people. That will be how we see ourselves. That will be our defining feature, our identity, and a secure and glorious basking in the God who is right in front of us and adoringly calls us his is what heaven is about. Say heaven for shorthand, the new heavens and the new earth. Actually, more more than just our identity, in verse 3, God calls himself ours. The God of the universe refers to himself as ours. It's the language of a lover. Okay, well, there's a lot in here, and I'm going quite quickly, but if you're making notes, I think it's beautiful. What will it feel like, though? Verse 4 gives us the precious and intimate picture of a father wiping away the tears from our eyes. There's no more death. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Those things are part of the old order that's been removed. Okay, so what else is the new city like? Skipping down to verse 22. This heavenly city doesn't have a temple, so there is no place that you go to meet with God because he's right here. In verse 23, curiously, there's no sun or moon shining. You don't need an independent light source because... God's glory and Jesus are the lamp of the city. I I can't quite picture how that works. But the reassurance that there's no night there, that is a powerful word to anyone who has ever been afraid of the dark or who's ever looked down an unlit corridor or alleyway and thought, "Mm, there's no night there. That whole mm, feeling has no place in God's new heaven and new earth. Instead of darkness, God himself glowing. Safety, warmth, assurance, that is what it feels like. And in verse 6, back up in verse 6, God tells us that to the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Partly this is a memory of um, John 7 at 37 where Jesus stands up in the temple and says, come to me all who are thirsty. Um, It's a fulfillment and a a going beyond of that. Anyone who wants God, if you're thirsty for him, his presence, his, his rule and reign, his doing stuff through us, if you want God, he will give to us freely, without cost. Here he is. 
And it's his pleasure to give us himself, his life, to delight us like a long thirst deliciously quenched. And again, and I'll, I'll stop dipping into the passage at this point, again in verse seven, the promise is, I will be their God and they will be my children. It's a promise of closeness, intimacy, seeing him clearly, fully, and that we'll find ourselves his, fulfilled and defined by our relationship with him. I think the gifts from God that leap out of this promise for me, for this week anyway, are identity and intimacy. Okay, so that was a whirlwind skim through Revelation 21, but for Advent, what are we waiting for? What's the promise that we anticipate? In short, it's a future with God, seeing him fully and knowing him fully, and being fully seen and fully known by him, a future without mourning, sadness, pain, chaos, even without the dark. It's the kingdom of God fulfilled and rolled out. I mean, some people read this and think this is a description of, the, of God's church on earth and him working through us, and I think there is. I think that's, we're seeing the glimpses of this already, but I also think this is a to come thing. I actually, per- this isn't scripted, so um, enjoy this extra 30 seconds uh, whilst you're freezing. I have real trouble sometimes focusing on heaven, the new heavens and new earth. I've, you know, I didn't become a Christian because uh, God said I got to live on a cloud with a harp one day. That just, that was an irrelevance to me. I think it's real though. For me, it wasn't the pie in the sky when you die that got me, it was the steak on your plate while you ate. Like, we can meet God now? I can hang out with him today? Oh, this is great. He does, he speaks today, are you kidding me? Well, I'm going, this is great, I'm in. The, the kind of future hope has always been a, oh yeah, yeah, sure, bonus to me. But do you know, do you know as we skim through the horrors in the world, as we chat to people who, who experience such brokenness, what privilege I have to not need to look forward to, to a kingdom of God fulfilled? What, what a place of, I don't even need to look at my own life and wonder what it could be like. Actually, for so many in the world, the toughness of life means that the picture of this, this is, I'm gonna hold on to this, thank you very much. And actually, if we're, if we're real about it for ourselves, do you know there's something in this that, okay, I want that, if I could just dare to convince myself to hope for it. I think the what are we waiting for is a bit more real than I personally have allowed myself to trust in, to, to consider and to begin to hope for. I'm not saying I doubted it, just saying it didn't matter to me. Maybe it should. Maybe there's value in it mattering to me. Take that as a confession if you like. I think this is a pretty good future to hope for. And the crucial difference between the picture that we've just unpacked in Revelation and every dis- description, depiction of heaven I've seen in TV and film is that this has God right in the center of it. The point of this picture is God amongst us. No film has ever been able to show that. No picture of heaven has ever got it right. It's just weird and white clouds and, and robes. I've, no wonder that's not appealing to people. This, though, the time when you meet with God and go, huh, that's great. That magnified by, you know, properly? Okay, you've got my attention. This is the Bible's promise of what is not yet but is coming, the advent of the kingdom of God. Whilst we're waiting for this, though, whilst this is a, 
I can't quite fully picture it, but I trust God is good and going to do something. Because of Jesus reuniting us to God and setting us free, because of the Holy Spirit's bringing God's presence amongst us and within us, we can sit with God and wait for God amongst the tough stuff of our lives. Emmanuel, God with us, is now as well as not fully yet. Whilst we're waiting for our darkness that we experience to be banished and for our tears to be lovingly wiped away, we can invite him to meet us in the darkness that we find ourselves in. We can take our tears to him and we can invite that light to come and just, I don't know, be a little spotlight in the stuff around us. There's, there's a promise actually worth holding on to. So practically, and um, to draw to an end because I can see icicles forming on some of you. The third and final section of this morning's talk, how can we do Advent well? How do we get more out of this season than just a wee chocolate every day? A wise mentor of mine once told me that the more seriously one takes Good Friday, the more profoundly the joy of Easter Sunday will move us. The more we meditate on the pain and the loss of Jesus' death, then the more the joy of his resurrection will have meaning for us. And I think that's absolutely true. I also think that the comparable truth applies to Advent and Christmas. The more we are aware of our unfulfilled yearnings, of our living in the not yet, the more we sit with God and are real with him about where we are in pain, then the more we can share with him the joy when he comes to meet us, the more powerfully he can move us in the Christmas celebrations. I think Advent is an opportunity to be real with God that is too important to pass up. So, simply, can I encourage you to spend Advent time with Jesus rather than Christmas time with Jesus? I mean, you can take an eggnog latte if you like, but spend time sat with him and say, okay, what about this waiting? Actually, Lord, what's going on in my life that I haven't even realized is an Advent thing? What do I need to bring to you? What things hurt, actually, that I haven't properly talked about with you, Lord? How do you want to speak to me in these things? If you like, I suggest Psalm 13. Just read through it a few times. Ask the Lord to meet you, read through it a few times. Note that Psalm 13 is a howl of where are you, Lord, pain that concludes in I will choose to trust him. That's not a contradiction. Going through it a few times, really with the Lord. Have that as a thought, um, and many other great psalms as well. And in case it's helpful, I'd like to do something a wee bit different uh, as we come in to the end of my talk today. I want to share with you a song. Um, thanks, Alistair, for stepping up there. I'd like to share with you a song that God has been using to speak to me for a little while called Hope on the Horizon by a church called KXC. And it's a song, rather than sung to God in worship, it's a sort of song we sing over ourselves kind of a call to myself. That's, that's biblical too. Um, it's a call to myself to remember who God is and to choose to go to him even in painful waiting. So I'm going to read to you the words um, and then I've asked Alistair afterwards if he can play it so we can hear it too. So um, before I do, Lord, would you just use this?
Come and take these words and uh, speak whatever you want to to each of us through them, I pray. When your heart is ready to break, you've got empty hands and worn out faith. When it feels like prayers have gone to waste and the promise seems so far away, lift up your eyes. There's hope on the horizon. Oh, look to Christ. His kingdom is arriving. Give him glory in the waiting and hold on to hope. In the space between the now and not yet, there's a song to sing he won't forget. Because a broken heart is not laid to waste if it's an alabaster jar of praise. Lift up your eyes. There's hope on the horizon. Oh, look to Christ. His kingdom is arriving. Give him glory in the waiting. Hold on to hope.